You know, something McMahon. Uh, this episode of Raw, I enjoy it, dig it? Because I am. Oh, who, what the? Where are you Dirty going, Repo? Where are you going, Repo? <laughs> Bring me back my hat. From the intersection of Sunset Boulevard and Pastry, Minnesota, you download Maine, Event, Status, Radio, with your host. Mr. Beverly Hills, Kino 210, and the Dirty Dog Dirty. Welcome everybody to Main Event Status Radio. From the from the curtain jerker to the main event spot, you found the right podcast. I am the Dirty Dog Darcy with the greatest host of all, Mr. Beverly Hills, 90210 Troy. How's it going, Beverly? Oh, it's going great, man. It's good to be back. Episode one went fantastic, and here we are for episode two. Yeah, um, episode one, I think, think went well. I heard some uh, reviews, been more good than bad, but I'm going to take all the good good uh, feedback as I can about episode one. We're Like you said, we're here for episode two, covering episode three of Monday Night Raw, going back to January 25th of 1993 to the Manhattan Center in New York City, New York. And, uh, yeah, do you want to talk about, uh, well, yeah, I think before we talk about the episode, I kind of wanted to do about uh, where we were as a wrestling fan up to the up, up to the show that we're going to cover. So were you a wrestling fan as of January 25th of 1993? Um, yeah, from what I can remember, I think uh, we were getting the syndicated show. I remember the debut of, which they'll talk about later, but the, the debut of Lex Luger as the narcissist. So I must have been watching it because I remember um, seeing that. So... Uh, this is kind of that sporadic time though that I wasn't getting the magazine like I talked about last week. But um, yeah, so a little bit, but not super heavily. Okay, because I know I one of the first memories I have was renting Wrestling at Ten, which would be the year after on VHS, and I do kind of remember. And I know I do remember watching Raw, but one of the first earliest memories I have was, was like few years after this. Okay, but I do remember kind of watching. I know I always watched wrestling when I was growing up because up to this episode, I think it was a couple months, month and a half before my, I think my fifth birthday. So a Dirty Dog would have been four at this time. <laughs> yeah, I'm young, I know. But uh, yeah, because I, yeah, I know I do kind of remember watching this. I know like during this time frame, I used to watch, rent like the Royal Rumble and Survivor Series and Mania on VHS. So I kind of remember this time frame. You know, during, of WWF and WCW back then. Yeah, I I, I think because um, worldwide had a very regular slot on the network that I watched it on, so I I remember um, WCW a lot more from this time than uh, WWF. Yeah, because I also want to talk to you about the WWF Raw at mm-hmm. the early stages. How it seemed like. WWF Raw wasn't really their number one show back then. How it, how it seemed like, you know, WWF Raw, you know, kind of like with the last episode we watched, it was pretty much, you know, a couple jobber matches and one bigger name match, you know, because the WWF champion wasn't on the episode we watched last week, and the WWF champion wasn't even on this week either. 
Yeah, and they barely talk about the Royal Rumble even, yeah. which which you know, if you're not going to have the champion on, you would think they'd at least have the Royal Rumble winner on, but he's not on either. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you know, because I that's what I was thinking. Like the early, you know, first couple of years of Raw wasn't really their number number one show, like like it is now in 2014. Right. But I kind of almost like that that feeling, uh, you know, feeling too of this show that we that now is like the stable of Monday nights for 20 something years. You know, when it was first first debuted, it really they really didn't take it as seriously. It seemed like. Yeah, I think uh, that's clear. I think you you put it best when they say they didn't take it seriously uh, when we talk about, especially when we talk about the announcers. Yeah, definitely. So, well, we might as well go into the show. Like I said, this was the third episode of Monday Night Raw. And as with the opening of the sh- this episode this week, uh, we sh- we uh, the sh- show opened up with Sean Moody outside the Manhattan Center waiting for the Repo Man. <laughs> because the Repo Man stole Macho Man Randy Savage's hat the week before. Yeah, and I just, you know, I don't get the Repo Man in general. Like, have you ever seen, like, a real Repo Man? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's just like a tow truck driver. Yeah. Why, why does Repo Man wear a mask, wear a trench coat, have tires <laughs> on his shoulders? I don't get any of the... Repo man, like <laughs> he should just be called like the thief. Exactly, but I don't know. It just Vince. You know, this was off during the cartoon era, so uh, I don't know Vince probably wanted to cartoon up the the idea of the Repo Man. <laughs> and even though it doesn't make sense, I do give all credit to Barry Darso because he just takes this to like level oh, I love the one Repo million. Yeah, but yeah. it doesn't make sense. But he made it. He, he made, made it something for yeah, sure. He made it work. Yeah, definitely. Because okay, so yeah, Moody was outside the Manhattan Center. Then we saw a repo truck pull up. Then the repo man jumped out with Macho Man's hat. <laughs> yeah, saying that he's ready to repossess Randy Savage's career tonight. Yes, which I thought was a pretty wacko promo, but <laughs> I, I, I loved it. Yeah, it was crazy. That's for sure. Then we open up with a classic raw video in the video package that we talked about last week. I love it. Then uh, Mr. McMahon welcomed us in, in, to New York City, the Manhattan Center, into Monday Night Raw. Do you, do you want to talk, talk to us about who the color commentators were with Vince this week? So this week, it's usually Macho Man is on the commentary team, but since he's in a match this week, we have... Bobby Heenan as the special guest, and I thought he's, I just wrote down, he's here to save us from the <laughs> third man, who is Rob Bartlett. Uh, tell, yeah. me, tell me about Bob Bartlett, or Rob Bartlett, whatever. <laughs> well, Bob Bartlett uh, <laughs> was apparently a radio personality in the New York area, and McMahon thought that he needed like a comedy um personality or somebody who wasn't necessarily associated with uh wrestling to give kind of like an off the cuff um viewpoint on raw so he brought in uh bob bartlett and wow <laughs> just i, I don't yeah. really know what else to say about him he's talking about his car here <laughs> he can't uh him and the repo man woof yes i know uh because I know, I think, well, one of the podcasts we listened to, 
I know they, they. I think they went through cover the king of the ring. I think the color commentators were Gorilla Monsoon and Rob Bartlett. And I know they were talking about how how much Rob Bartlett brought down the whole pay per view experience for them. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I I think you're thinking of um. You're thinking of a different guy. You're thinking of uh. Shoot, he's a football player. Okay. Uh, Art Donovan. Oh yes, yes. Yes, well, yes, yes. Art Save Donovan. that for a different episode because I, I want to talk about Art Donovan on a different. Okay. Okay, <laughs> Art Donovan. And I'll, I think Rob Bartlett, too. I don't know what I want to call him Bob for, but <laughs> one for us, Bob Bartlett. Uh, you know, he, he, I think he brought it down, too, for me, in, a, in yeah. a sense. I don't think he was as bad as Bastion Booger last week. But I think he, at least for this episode, but I think he, yeah, he wasn't really. Up to snuff to my taste. Yeah, I would I would agree that he isn't as bad as Bastion Booger just because there's always a third person. Yeah, and uh, like I said, uh, he didn't save us from Bartlett, and uh, there was nobody to do that on last week's Fair show. Enough. Fair enough. To not all events, uh, <laughs> he didn't and Bartlett talked you know a little bit about what you know the match is kind of like last week and. Uh, one line that Bobby, one line that I wrote down, what Bobby said was that WWF isn't big enough for both Mister Perfect and Ric Flair. Yeah, and uh, we'll see the culmination of that. I yeah. Okay. We'll get. We'll talk about that later. I like that a lot. Okay, then let's go to the first match, which was the Repo Man versus Macho Man Randy Savage. Yep, and I wrote that Savage is out. Uh, with a lot of fire and also in your grandma's flowered couch. <laughs> I was going to talk, talk to you about later, talk to you about Macho's attire later on in the match, but what? Well, we might as well talk about it now before we get into the match. What is your thoughts on the different styles of attires that Macho Man wore during his career? You know, I I don't. Do, do you know when he switched from like trunks to this like tight and shirt? action. Because I know he wore the trunks for WrestleMania 4 through 5 when he was a champion the first time. Right. Then at WrestleMania 7 when he was a macho king he was already wearing those tights so it had to be somewhere between WrestleMania 5 and WrestleMania 7. Okay, so it's been a while at this point. Yes. Okay. Well, I I do not like the like top and bottom look. I mean, I get... I. I don't know. I guess if you're conscious of your gut or anything else, maybe you want to wear a shirt. But I just don't think it works very well. Fair, fair enough. And I don't. I that's one thing I always loved about Macho Man was how I always seemed like that he he always had weird kind of weird kind of patterns for his attire. You know, <laughs> it wasn't neon colors. I just don't know if it makes sense. Like, what's the flowers for? <laughs> that's why I like about Macho Man because people tell me that a lot of times I don't make sense. <laughs> You're unpredictable, like the Macho Man. So I think Macho Man and I, you know, if he's, you know, God rest his soul, if he was still around today, I think Kim and I could possibly be good friends. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I mean, I do, I get what you're saying, and I think like the unpredictability factor does kind of work with like the crazy garb and whatnot, and you know, fits with kind of how he starts this match. He runs out and just starts going crazy on the Repo Man. Yeah, but I think right, right when uh. You know, I think right at the beginning of the match, you know how last last episode how you wrote down some liner, you know, one liners from McMahon and Booger. I did write down a couple couple lines, and the first line I wrote from Barlett was, 
about Macho Man saying he's going to snap him like a Slim Jim, Vince. Ha ha. <laughs> yep, I that, did hear that one as well. That, that made me laugh too. I'm like, I had, have to write this down. I have to bring this up in the podcast. <laughs> he's going to snap him like a Slim Jim, Vince. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, Bartlett, he has a really good Macho Man impression. I think that's kind of what his thing was, the, was impressions. Oh, yeah. He has a good Macho Man impression, but he has like no idea of when to time it like the other two will just be talking and he'll just be like oh yeah in the background it just doesn't just doesn't make sense yeah which i guess in ways fits with uh i guess the raw persona how like the you know this uh, you know they were filming the first few raws in the theater yeah in in the manhattan center so how i think that kind of ties with the raw feel like you know it's uncut uncut and uncensored yeah as their tagline was so i feel like You know, I feel like that, in a way, this Bartlett did kind of add in with that, you know, kind of make things a little unpredictable and uncut. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> then, uh, we can talk, yeah, the, how, uh, I know one, I wrote down one moment that Repo tried to run backstage away from Savage. <laughs> yeah. Savage ran after him and brought him back to the ring to grapple some more. Yeah, they were out of the ring, in the ring, everything. I thought when Macho Man was in control... It yeah. was a good match. He because he was really turned up. He was uh, just really pedal to the metal on this on this match. But whenever Repo Man took control, it was like ground to a halt. Well, exactly. I did notice that. That's like whenever Repo had had the advantages more rest heavy, rest, mm-hmm. you know, with a lot of rest holds. Then, uh, then yeah, when Macho had the advantages more f- fast-paced. And I know I noticed, uh, I think it was uh, like a grapevine troll cold or whatever that Repo had on Macho, that I noticed Repo Man's nasty pen- pencil-thin-ish mustache. <laughs> he, I noticed that, too. He does have a terrible mustache. It adds to his character, Dirty Dog. Because when, when I saw his pencil-thin mustache, I thought of... Jimmy Buffett and one of Jimmy Buffett's famous songs, Pencil Thin Mustache. Never heard of that song. <laughs> well, a- after the episode, maybe go out and, li- go out and listen to it because I like it. You know, it's, uh, I guess I'm a big Jimmy Buffett fan, but I like the song. You know, it's kind of more upbeat. It's more. Well, I think in the song that Jimmy Buffett talks about, you know, like going to a black and white movie back in the day, and, and, and like the like the villains back then had like you know the super the pencil the pencil thin mustaches. Maybe Repo Man heard that song, and that's what he's uh, working toward. <laughs> I I am happy Jimmy Buffett was influenced on the Repo Man. <laughs> All right. So, anyways, back to the match. So I know after that we you know went through one commercial break and we. You know, came, yeah, came back and like you said, you know, both guys kind of went back and forth on who had the advantage, which I felt helped the match out in a sense. Mm-hmm. And I wanted- yeah, and I, th- you know, I just to kind of go back to my point about when Repo was in control, it really slowed down. You know, I, I can't really blame Repo Man too much because. You know, well, maybe I can. He's super out of shape. You could see that his guts hanging over his tights, but. Um, at the same time, you know, to be able to keep up with how fast Macho wanted to 
take it, obviously, he had to do that, or else he was just going to keel over right in the ring. Fair enough, fair enough. I know, uh, I know last, in the last episode we talked about how, I was thinking, you know, we talked about how Vince adds in the commentary on what he's watching. And I did mm-hmm. take note that all three commentators talk, talked about President Bill Clinton's <laughs> inaugural address from, I think, the night before. Uh, yeah, I think it had been in that week. Usually it's on a Monday. So. Okay, so within the last week, and how it's like yep. they were making fun of, fun of President Clinton and other politicians. Yeah, yeah. You like? Uh, I think I mentioned last week. You could always tell what Vince is watching, but you should also tell kind of his political leanings and yeah. with how they were jabbing at Clinton. I think we can safely assume that uh, Vince cast his vote for Bush that. Uh, previous November. Next, I know I'm ready for the finish. So, if you want to, is there anything else you want to talk about this match before we go on to the finish? Oh uh, no, I want to talk about Savage after. But go ahead and okay. get to the finish. I know the finish came with Macho. You know, still like quickly getting the advantage by hitting the clothesline on a repo, then jumped up to the top rope and hit the flying Macho elbow for the three count. Mm-hmm. I know, like for like last week, I you know I felt like us giving each match ratings. I think kind of. Was a fun, fun, fun discussion. I, I enjoyed it, and yeah. I gave this match a two star rating. Yep, I'm right near with you. Uh, I gave it a two and a quarter. Okay, because I, I, yeah, cause I feel, you know, I feel like you know, comparing this episode of Raw to what we watched before, I think, I think it helped out that this Raw that we picked up for this episode wasn't like jobber heavy like last mm-hmm. week's was. Right. Which, which I'm sure you would go back and forth between between each Raw. I'm sure you know each different Raw is built up for more main event stars like this Raw compared to the episode we watched before. Sure. Yep. I would agree. Then uh, I got yeah. You wanna? Yeah, talk? I want to talk about Savage yeah. just a, just a second because I felt like in this era, also you know in the '94, just really before from that time he quote unquote retired until the time he left for WCW, I thought he was in a super weird position because it's like they don't want him to succeed. They don't want him to be a main eventer, but they, like, need him, if you get what I mean. So it's like they don't want to give him a main event run, yet they talk about the fact that the night before he was the second person in the Royal Rumble. He's, He's in a featured match here, but then where do we go next week? Well, he's just the color commentator. So it's just very strange kind of booking of the Macho Man, and I just don't get it really. What's your take? Do you feel like he's in the Jerry Lawler role nowadays? Uh, well, he's a lot better than Jerry Lawler is right now. Fair enough. I mean, as, and as you can see with when he does go to WCW, he still has some awesome matches oh. left in him all the way to 97, 98. But... Um, I mean, I kind of see it. Like, they'll pull Jerry Lawler out for a match or two every once in a while. That's, But, you know, you'll you'll never see Jerry Lawler go second in the Royal Rumble. True, true. Because he just doesn't have it, which is why I don't get why they didn't just let Macho Man go for it. Yeah, because I know, I think I remember hearing, like, right on this time, Vince felt like wrestlers who were, like, I think who hit 40 or, or were in their early 40s, like Macho and... Hogan, that he felt like they were, it was time for them to hang it up. Yeah, whatever. You know? I I don't. I've never gotten that philosophy. Yeah. Well, I think I think that's why I heard like that's what I think people thought Vince thought about or something like that, which is why I think later on in '93 why Vince let Hogan go. 
Right. Was be- because of that, and actually shortly after that, that's, you know, well, a year later or so, that's why Ma- he let Macho go. Because mm-hmm. he felt like, you know, they didn't, both him, both those guys didn't have really any, not a, you know, didn't have any, uh, didn't have a good run left in them. Yeah, and I mean, I've I've heard this concept before, and I don't know where I've heard it, but there's a difference between like real age and like screen age. Yeah, if you get what I'm saying, which yeah. is like how long you've been featured. Yeah, and you know, Hogan was the main eventer on top in the last match on every show for you know upwards of ten years. I get why you would think he was stale. Macho Man, maybe not so much. And I also, um, you know, in the ring, he clearly still had it. Yeah, you well, know? especially compared to Hogan. Yeah, I feel like well, yeah. Macho had it more than Hogan did. Right, so I think you need, you know, you can't put this hard and fast. If they're over 42, they got to go, put them out to pasture, whatever. You know, you saw Flair was right near that age, right, yeah. at this time, too. And he's obviously, as we'll get to in a few minutes, still... Rocking and rolling too. Yeah, because I know uh, well, we might as well get back to the show if we can talk about Flair. I know I sure. one note I wrote down was the following Friday at Madison Square Garden that WWF was having a headlock for hunger program. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was gonna say, do you know anything about that? Um, it was just a program that they had uh, where they were going to do for charity in Africa. I want to I want to say Somalia, but I'm not positive. Don't quote me on that. But they were just going to take donations from fans and okay. ship over food for for uh, people in Africa. Okay, because I know what I understood. They were also going to put on a few matches too, mm-hmm. which I thought that was very a very cool thing that Vince did back back then. I I know well they still do a lot of Make a Wish things nowadays, but I think. That's one thing that I think Vince gets put down a lot about, you know, like what he, what he has on his programming mm-hmm. compared to some of the things that he does outside of, you know, outside of the personality that we know of Vince McMahon. Right. No, you're uh, you're right on with that. I mean, uh, some you know sometimes the you know stuff that's in the headlines doesn't kind of belays what actually um, is happening, and yeah, he's. We will, I'm sure, in the course of our shows, uh, do a lot of digging on him. But he does stuff like this, and there's the veterans show and all that, you know, for soldiers. There's all that kind of good stuff that they do. Okay, I know we had another commercial for WrestleMania Nine, which was at Caesar's Palace, the oh. most splendiferous casino in Las Vegas. Yeah, in Las Vegas, man. Then we also <laughs> get, we also got the number for to order. The tickets, which I wrote down, if anybody want, wants to order tickets for WrestleMania 9, 21 years later, it is 1-800-634-6698. It's quickly becoming the family entertainment destination. Yes. And so if you want to go, so it's fun difference. Herp and get pens and papers together because I'll repeat the number <laughs> once again. It's 1-800-634-6698. You guys, if you guys didn't get it those two times, tweet at me at DirtyDogMES, and I'll tweet you out the number. <laughs> then awesome. I guess then I guess we can talk about the second match, which was the Brooklyn Brawler versus Kamala with Reverend, Reverend Slick. And as I want to bump in, as the holiest man I know, Dirty Dog. Thank you. Thoughts on Reverend Slick? Uh, I... I really liked liked him as Reverend Reverend Slick. I know we watched, I think, uh, Survivor Series with him doing the 
uh, Thanksgiving blessing, which, <laughs> which I really, really enjoyed. I know, uh, I think it was Raw 1000 a couple years back when uh, Daniel Bryan and A.G. Lee were storyline getting married. And they had Reverend Slick, you know, be the master of ceremonies. <laughs> and I absolutely loved Reverend Slick. And what, and whenever I get married, whenever that day comes, I want to try to talk to my talk my future fiance into possibly getting Reverend Slick to do the ceremony. Well, you know, my nuptials are are coming up within the next three months. Here, do you think? I could step one convince my fiance to do it, and step two get a hold of Reverend Slick in this short time period. As I say, if you need help talking your fiance into having Reverend Slick be the master of ceremonies, you can always talk the dirty dog, who is one of your ushers, into <laughs> talking your fiance and having trying to have Reverend Slick as the master of ceremonies. All right, I will we'll do. We'll do. Because you can you can pa- pass along the note to her and. Know that, and I'll be more than willing to talk to her about it. <laughs> All right, I'll I'll do that. Okay. Um. So Reverend Slick at this time, he's in the process of turning Kamala into a man with the, the chant, which is a very strange chant of the fans. You are a man. Want, yeah, you are a man. I, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Do you know much about? And obviously, you know this was like you said when uh, Kamala was starting to turn heel. He'll no, become face. a face. Yep. I was wanting to get see if you knew anything about the backstory of, or just the story of that storyline. Oh, I do, I do. So obviously, Kamala for many, many years was the Ugandan giant, the Ugandan headhunter. He's the savage heel. So over the last year, 1992, it would be um, his managers and handler. Harvey Whippleman and Kim Chi um, started to kind of abuse him, punish him, whatever, when he was uh, uh, losing. So Slick, after they kind of would, would beat on him after after matches a little bit, Slick started to take him under his wing and try to convert him into being a man. Uh, and, and yeah, and this all kind of started, I don't know when it was, but... After Kamala and Undertaker had a casket match, which yeah. I mentioned in this in this one, but so there was a series, and you should really look them up of awesome skits where Reverend Slick tries to teach Kamala to be a man, <laughs> including a fantastic one where he takes him bowling. Okay, because I don't want <laughs> you know one of the lines that was t- you know talked about from Barlett was well, I quoted him on this. About, you know, the chant, he is a man. Barlett Barlett said, and I quote, he is a man and he needs a thigh master. (laughs) Yeah. I thought that was funny too. It made me me pop enough to write it down, but I also wrote after that, in my own words, sigh. But you got got to love, come on, he needs the belly because he's got to do the... Yeah, because I his tummy. That you know that line from Bertlett did make me laugh. You know, I also had to mention it, but like, come on, no man. <laughs> well, I don't know. You don't need to point out that he's fat. Like that's his thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, people know about it, so come on. <laughs> so I know. Uh, well, one of the first things I noticed that you know when the match started was Brawler tried to shake. Kamala's hand, and Kamala chopped him on top of the head in return. I was 
I was going to say, how would Kamala even know to shake hands? Uh, I, I guess I guess Slick is teaching you how to be a man. Maybe that's why. Yeah, and yeah, he is you know a savage from well the mo- the most darkest parts of Africa. Yes, deepest darkest Africa. No, that's where Akeem is from. Fair My enough. apologies. My apologies. I, I guess when I was in Africa for about three weeks back in 2008, I guess. There's three things I wish I would have done. You know, in addition to while I was over there spreading the good news, was uh, I wish I would have tried to find Kofi Kingston's family members because <laughs> I was in Ghana and he's from Ghana. And the other two things were I wish I would have found Akeem the African Dream, and I wish I would have found try to find where Kamala resided at. Well, if you found him, I wish you would try to shake his hand like Brickle Brawler. But I guess three weeks would have been too short of a time for, for you know, to find Kamala and to find where Akeem was from. <laughs> Maybe. Um, did you did you check out Kamala with kind of the prototype stink face there on the Brickle Brawler? No. He, that... put, he puts him in the corner and he gets in front of him with his uh, booty and he like looks to the crowd just like Rikishi would. That that makes me laugh, though. I think Rikishi stole the stink face from Kamala. Okay, I know. Uh, another, another thing I wanted to talk about was another line from Barlett. I don't remember exactly what he said, but he commented about Brooklyn Brawler's attire, but something along the lines <laughs> of he could have dressed better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then Vince goes, but he's from Brooklyn, which, sorry to all the Brooklyn listeners, because apparently that's what Vince thinks you guys look like. If we have any listeners from the Brooklyn area, please tweet at us and let us know <laughs> if that's true. <laughs> Do you see people with ripped shirts walking down the street on a daily basis? Because for Beverly Hills is at Beverly Hills MEX, and for me it's Dirty Dog D A W G at or at Dirty Dog M E X on Twitter. Okay, yeah. Well, I'm ready for. I'm ready to end this match. Yeah. No, I'm not. Okay, so, we'll talk more, please. Kamala, he keeps trying to cover Brawler on on his back, which man, that they tried to do that forever with that thing, and I never thought it was funny. But I did think it was funny. He got Brooklyn Brawler down. He 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 slipped and he kind of slid into third. <laughs> uh, did, you, did you see that one? Yes. Yeah, that was that was funny. Maybe he should wear boots. I don't know, but um, so he does finally pin him after like rolling him all the way around the ring. Uh, what is what's your rating on this one? <laughs> the winner is Kamala by rolling the brawler around the ring before pinning him. <laughs> Fantastic. And uh, for this match, I had to give this match a one star rating. Ah, I'm again right around with you. I gave it one and a quarter because I feel like Gunny, this was like the jobber match for. The, this you know for this episode of Raw, but I feel like this was a lot better than the jobber matches we watched last week. For sure, I thought this might be better suited um, off air. I think it's I think it has a place like before everything starts because it kind of got gets the crowd pumped up with you know with the you are a man thing or whatever, and it gets them kind of laughing with the rolling the brawler on the ring deal. But eh, I don't know if we need that much time on it. So talking about, you know, being pumped up, you know, with this getting closer to one of my favorite personal matches, I need to get myself pumped up. Crack into it. Okay, and then, uh... Did you, oh, did you um, the interview with Slick? Yes, you I was going to talk about that. That Vince right. went to the outside of the ring to interview Slick, 
And uh, let's see, Vince. Vince put over Slick for turning Kamala's life around. Mm-hmm. And Slick wanted to thank the fans for helping him change Kamala's life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and this um, this interview, to me, really shows that this must have been taped before Royal Rumble. Yeah. Because they talked about, during the match, how Harvey Whippleman, you know, he's past Kamala. Because, you know, what happened at Royal Rumble, he comes out with the giant Gonzalez. Um, but here you have the interview with Slick trying to pump up a feud between Kamala and Harvey Whippleman and Kim Chi, which I pretty sure never happened because i think kimchi well spoiler alert uh kamala just wrestled kimchi yeah <laughs> as the brooklyn brawler <laughs> but um i don't think that ever came came about so that i guess that was my uh giveaway that this must have been old okay then uh we go next to the royal rumble report with mean gene Orkland. yeah uh i hope you didn't fast forward through this didn't, didn't fast forward. Okay, good. Because I know uh, the Rumble was awesome the night before, and Gene, us to, Gene told us to expect the unexpected. <laughs> I wrote that one down, too. Expect the unexpected. How Bret Hart retained the WWF title against Razor Ramon. Yeah. And uh, we, as we talked about last week on the episode, Yokozuna won the Rumble by throwing Macho over the top rope <laughs> by laying on the mat after being hit by the flying elbow. You never accuse Macho of being the smartest man. Then, uh, then I feel like you can tell that Mean Gene was reading something above the camera guy. <laughs> nice. Then, uh, then uh, Bobby Heating debuted Lux Luger the night before as the narcissist. Yep. I, 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 my only other note was that Mean Gene was looking very, very tan. Yes. He's uh, looking like leather on this one. I guess that was the Royal Rumble report. Yeah, it was. it was, you know, I thought... When they when they put on the the graphic, you know, Royal Rumble report, I thought we were going to get more than that. I yeah, was same here. Uh, actually really surprised how kind of short that one was. Then we used to do a commercial with Bret Hart, the current reigning WWE World Champion for Icro Pro. He takes his Icro Pro man. And then we go to another commercial with the Macho Man with Slim Jim. <laughs> He's snapping into it, brother. And I wanted to ask you about Icro Pro. Okay. I know. To my knowledge, and I could be wrong, and in ways I hope I am wrong on this, that, <laughs> that Icro Pro was like a bodybuilding vitamin. Yeah, it's just it's basically just protein, just how you would take like a protein drink or a protein shake. That's basically what Icro Pro is. Okay, because I thought for some reason that it was some kind of steroids, body. I think Vince would have been that stupid. <laughs> I don't think he's that dumb. Then I'll see Slim Jim, which is still around now. Yeah, just on the, on the Icro Pro, I think it's um, it's basically kind of a glorified weight gainer. Okay, it's just a lot of it's just a lot of uh, calories if you're looking to put on weight. Okay, <laughs> which I'm th- not, so I'm not afraid. That's the same. I think neither one of us needs Icro Pro. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about that. But I'm sure I'm sure both of us could go for a Slim Jim right now. Snap into it, dig it. Then <laughs> uh, we might as well go into the main event of the night: the loser leaves WWF match between Ric Flair and Mister Perfect. Mm-hmm. And before we go to the match, I wanted wanted to talk to you about the loser leaves the company stipulation and how I feel like back in the early '90s, how stipulations were actually kept compared to nowadays. 
Well, I mean, it it sure seems like it. Uh, we see with the with the ending of this one, at least, it follows through. I you know, I think just um, well, if you look back to the '80s, everything was kept. You know, they're they're leaving because they actually are leaving. You yeah. know, they're going to a different territory, or they're um, you know going somewhere else for few months at a time i think just as the 90s go on and into the 2000s it's just not as practical especially with the loser leaves town stuff how many times during the attitude era was vince mcmahon <laughs> banned from the company true or like uh, right. during, the, during the brand extension when they unified the tag titles how, how many times after big show and chris jericho lost oh, the yeah. tag titles to dx how many times did jericho lose Lose the loser or Jericho. If Jericho loses, he leaves Raw match. <laughs> he kept on showing up the week after. <laughs> yeah, but that was at least funny. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I was to say, do you know why Ric Flair wanted to leave the WWF to go back to WCW? Um, you know, don't quote me, but I think it was just one of those things where he just wanted to go back. Like that's where he was more comfortable with. That was a place that he. Uh, kind of felt like he was treated better. I'm not exactly sure, but yeah. Okay, because I know I think I remember Flair saying either in his book or a DVD set that when he entered the WWF in, what was it, 91? 19, yeah, late 91. Well, late, yeah. 90, late 91 that he was beaten down, you know, mm. mentally. And the year and a half or so he was with the comp WWF, he got built back up. Right. And he felt like he was, you know, the nature boy. Once once again, in in that yeah, that year and a half with the company, he felt was, felt like was a, a breath of fresh air for his character and for him personally. Well, I definitely think that's true. I think they, you know, as terribly as the WWF kind of treated um, territorial stars in the late eighties and nineties, early nineties, I think they treated Flair like the opposite. They built him up. They gave him the best manager. They gave him the title right away. He was the top star the whole way. I thought they did totally right by him. Okay, then what is your thoughts on him bringing in the NWA World Heavyweight title? I thought it was fantastic. Then what's, <laughs> then what's your thoughts on them You know, being sued or whatever happened, that they had to pixelate it, then Ric Flair was carrying around one of the tag belts? Well, I, you know, it's... Uh, WCW and uh, Evil Jim Hurd. It's it's their responsibility to make sure that the to, that the champion doesn't walk away with your title. <laughs> I don't know, but I, I liked I liked the whole real world champion thing. I thought that was an awesome storyline. I felt like that brought Ric Flair more credibility when he won the 1992 Royal Rumble and won the WWF title for the first yeah. time. Mm-hmm. I agree. That, that, well, cause I'm sure we'll talk about that too, but how Ric Flair talked about in the promo afterwards that now the WWF belt is the belt to get, belt to yeah. wear. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, you know, with, especially with what happened with him and Evil Jim Hurd, I felt like, you know, for special, I'm sure it was a way to spit in the face to the NWA fans back then. Sure. But I feel like it was Ric Flair telling his fans that, was, that were with him from NWA, WCW, like, hey, this is the belt belt to get. You know, people always wanted to see, wanted me, wanted to see me over here in the WWF up north to win the yeah. win this belt. And hey, I have it now. Yeah, but just but just as much, you know, he gives them the kind of the fan service of saying the real world championship yeah. is the one that he brought in. Yeah, you know, so I mean, as much as 
I do agree with you that when he says, uh, you know, this is the place to be, I think maybe even his NWA fans would agree. Because in 91, you know, it's uh, it's kind of going down the toilet a little bit. That is true, yeah. You know, you got Big Josh, you got Oz, you got the other characters running around. Um, I can't say that he, you know, they would even disagree with you. But he still says that's, that's the real world championships. So. Okay, if we give this much time to Ric Flair, I think we should talk about Mr. Perfect as well. What is your thoughts on the Perfect one? Um, you know, one of the most underrated guys uh, in history, in my opinion. I thought he was he was tremendous. Um, and if, uh, you know, we always talk about if you transpose eras or anything, if you put Perfect in this era, 2000 to 2014, multiple-time heavyweight champion. Do you feel like back then Mr. Perfect should have held the WWF title, or when he jumped to WCW later on, should he won the WCW title? Um, Gosh, by the time he got to WCW, I'm not super sure. You know, when he first debuted, if Hogan hadn't had such a lockdown on it, I could have seen, could could see him maybe getting it. Um, you know, back in the, in the early 90s, I'm not... I don't think it was a bad idea at the time to not put it on him. Okay. Do you, how do you think? Which, I guess that makes sense, since how it seemed like, well, see, nowadays the WWF title gets passed around like nothing, because, you know, yeah, like, what was it, a couple weekends ago, that at Money in the Bank pay-per-view, that Cena won his 15th world title. Right, <laughs> right. And also, that's when they also had the two world titles for a while, too, which kind of bumped up a lot of people's world title reigns, but... I, you know, I feel like you know nowadays the uh, 15 world title reigns that Cena held or the 13 that Triple H held, I don't feel like means as much to like how early races what seven or eight that he had back, back when he was still competing in the 16 or whatever that Flair had. Sure. Because I feel like or like the what six or seven that Hogan had with the WWF before he jumped over. That well, I guess that also includes the one undisputed title run in 2002. But I feel like, you know, back then the titles, you know, when you were given the title, it actually means something. Yep, I would agree. Yeah. And it, it, yeah. took, it took so much longer to get to the, if you will, main event status to uh, be there to even challenge for it. Where seemingly in this era, you can be around a month in your at that status. Because I know I can't remember which podcast I was... Well, it might have been a Brian and Vinny show from the Wrestling Observer podcast that uh, that they were talking about... Well, I don't think it was that podcast. If not, it would be another podcast to listen to how they were talking about. They really don't like when guys like Santino Morella or Carlito Hall, they don't like it like when... Or like in Paige, for instance, for more recent, that on their first night in the company or for like Carlito, first night on both brands that that they win like the intercontinental title or the u.s title or for page that divas title that you know the first night in bam they win win like the mid-card title or for the women's the top title and where else can they go but down yeah i i think it depends um it depends on the person it depends on what you're willing to do with them um if you have a plan for them after they lose it which I don't think in any of those cases that you threw out, they did, which is maybe why they didn't come off across come. Yeah. Whatever that term is, (laughs) come across as well. 
Um, but yeah, I think it's just if if you can do it right, I think a first night win can do well. You just got to follow through. Okay, well, talk about the first night wins. What? How do you think it would have come across if a wrestler, let's say, for instance, if AJ Styles comes in the WWE and let's say he debuts at Money in the Bank 2015 and then in the same night he cashes in and wins the world title, how do you think that would be viewed nowadays compared to like back then? Oh, I think it would be awful. <laughs> Just because... The last two to three years of AJ Styles and TNA was just bottom of the barrel, underneath the barrel, three feet under the barrel. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, well, I just, just felt, felt like somebody you know threw out AJ Styles because he was one of no, the top, for sure, top maybe, TNA stars. Like maybe some... if um, TNA when when they were close to meaning something. If he would have jumped or Samoa Joe after he had that long winning streak, and he, maybe if he jumped, um, I could possibly see it working. Just, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if TNA would work because it's so much the viewership. You know, that I, I see people who say, like I talked to some of my friends who say, what is Kurt Angle doing? How is he enjoying his retirement? Fair, fair enough, <laughs> you know, fair enough, yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of people just don't even know if that show's on. Okay, then I guess what if, like, Kevin Steen or somebody from ROH jumps over to WWE? You know, I'm, I'm, sure, it would have a, I'm sure it would have a pop to a, to a certain extent, certain portion of the fans, but, you know, 85% would be like, who is this guy? <laughs> fair enough. I guess that is our uh, modern talk. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, of, of this podcast, so I guess we may as well go back to 1993, January back, 25th, back in, time. Ba- back in time, yeah. <laughs> yes, Huey nice. Lewis, Huey Lewis in the news. You got it, I love that song. Um, so we might as well go back. Of songs, speaking oh. of songs, two of the best themes in, in the history of wrestling oh, with Rick started Rick, off perfect. for mine. Yeah, Flair and Perfect. I love the Flair song, love the dun, Perfect song. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> dun, dun. Oh yeah, twenty twenty two thousand one Space Odyssey. That's a great one, and then you got uh, Perfect song as well. I Think love of it. What's your thoughts on Curtis Axel's rendition of Modernizing Mr. Perfect's theme song? Um, it's all right. I can't say I've heard it a ton. Okay. But um, from what I've heard, I like it. Okay. I so we, well, I guess that's another couple seconds of current product. <laughs> well, let's go back. So yeah, this week's draw hall. Oh, the week before in episode two overall, Flair challenged Perfect to a match for whoever loses, the loser leaves the company. Okay. And I feel like it makes, granted, you know, Perfect and Flair, you know, Perfect was teamed with Flair pretty much ever shortly after Flair joined the company. Right. But I feel like one week build to Flair leaving kind of hurts it a little bit. Yeah. Yep, I I would say that. I think you got to... I don't know. You got to try to tie it in. How long had Flair and Perfect been on the outs? I don't know this. I, so I think, honestly, maybe right around SummerSlam the year before. Okay. Okay. So, well, that's not that's not bad. I'd say you. I'm sure you'd want 
you'd want a couple matches in between there, which I don't think they had. I think I think it happened shortly after SummerSlam. Cause I remember it was was it Mr. Per- Mr. Perfect and Randy Savage against Ric Flair and Razor Ramon at Survivor Series '92. Okay. I think Perfect was Ultimate Warrior's replacement for that match. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you'd want a longer, longer build, but eh. Fair. Eh, well, I don't know. No, they had one match at Survivor Series '92. They had a little brawl at the Rumble the night before. So Valleys? you might want maybe maybe one week between Royal Rumble and the Loser Leafs Town match. If you want to split hairs there. Yeah, because yeah, I remember during the Royal Rumble match, well, it's been a while since I watched the 93 Rumble, but I remember, I think it was Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Hinnon doing color commentary for that ma- for that pay-per-view. And I remember, obviously, Bobby was a big Flutter supporter and kept on saying, well, I'm not Flutter's do a repeat Rumble win. And Gorilla questioned, like, what if Ric Flair wins the Rumble, then tomorrow night on Raw loses Mr. Perfect? Oh, sure, yeah. Or what if Mr. Perfect wins the Rumble, then loses Ric Flair? Then Bobby's saying, like, oh, it's more likely that Perfect would win the Rumble than, and lose to Flair the next night than Flair winning the Rumble than losing a Perfect the next night. Yeah, that'd be a very interesting dynamic, but I don't know if they'd ever... Uh, I, th- I think winning the Rumble meant more. Yeah. At that time, I don't think they'd want to throw away a Rumble victory that that quickly. Especially when that was the first year that the Rumble winner would go on to WrestleMania and head, headline it. Yeah, exactly. And, and at, you know, at that time, there are only four pay-per-views. You wouldn't want to say to all the people who bought it, like, you know, neener, neener, the guy you saw win <laughs> loses. Yeah, but uh, uh, we should, oh. you know, yeah, so what, I feel like Ric Flair had... My favorite robe of his, which was the classic white feathers and black robe with the sequences. Yeah, and the, like the little butterfly, the little yeah. silver butterfly. <laughs> I always thought that was weird. What's the deal with the butterflies? Uh, I don't know. Unless Flair likes to fly away. Is that the nature? I don't know. Does that symbolize nature, little butterflies? I don't know. Well, maybe. Must be. But what is your thoughts on Ric Flair's robes that he wore? Love the robes. My most favorite... Uh, Starcade won the green robe, green and gold. Love the green robe. What's that, Starcade 83? Yeah, 83, sorry, yeah. I said one. Yeah, the first Starcade, Starcade 83. Fair enough, but that's yep. okay, yeah. Yep, so, that's uh, my, I love the green one. Uh, there's a blue one that I like a lot, the blue and silver one. Was there a red one? Yep, and there's a red. I, well, didn't he say that? Um, over the years, many of them had been stolen, and the only ones he had left were the blue and the red. Yes, that you know, wouldn't be surprised since I know I want to. We mentioned it in the first podcast, but I think you know, Flair said that his he would spend you know actually a lot of money, like twenty thousand dollars on each robe. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but very interestingly, they were made by the wife of uh, a wrestler. I want to say Mister Wrestling Two. Yeah, could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure. Then I know, uh, I know for episode three of Raw, Ric Flair was wearing red tights, uh, red knee pads, and red boots, while Mr. Perfect was wearing was like blue or turquoise tights. Yep, the, yeah, the classic, the black and the blue. Yeah, so so I feel like that was a was a nice touch to, you know, especially like in boxing terms, how you know the blue corner and the red corner. Ah, uh, sure. Yeah, I, that's that's why I got. <laughs> okay. So I don't want. Uh, Right away at the beginning of this match, that 
McMahon said that, oh, we're hearing, com- uh, if you're hearing commentary in the background besides us, there's a radio station that's interfering, <laughs> interfering with the feed. No, wait. I guess that's from the Sci-Fi Network. What How- was that? I don't even know. I, guess- I don't know the real story to that. I wonder what it is. I, I, I don't I know. Don't know. Like, how does that happen? Like, what was going on? Well, were they were they doing live commentary at the taping, and then they then they overdubbed it afterward? Like, or, could that happen? Are they are they editing something up or something? I don't know. Yeah, I yeah they were trying. Yeah, maybe they said. So. I don't know. I don't know how you do that because I guess maybe they would want the live sound still there, but they want like this new commentary. I'm not sure. I noticed that too, and it's very weird. Well, I guess I never picked up on it. What what did you hear? I I couldn't. Re- I was trying to listen really closely, but I couldn't really catch what was going on. Okay, well, I guess that was a good cover from Vince. Both. Yeah, I get. I suppose, huh? Yeah. So, um, but at the beginning, I want to say I really liked. So they start off with um, some really kind of stiff slaps and and punches, and I kind I really think that kind of portrays. Um, a story really well that like they're really heated you know that they're going to the slaps they're going to the punches but that these are two wrestlers who aren't going to get carried away by their emotions yeah you know you have mr perfect he's played as being very smart you got flair also kind of portrayed as being really intelligent they're not going to get you know let those emotions of being angry take take them over and uh you know, get all wild, kind of like Macho Man in the first match. Yeah. You know, Macho Man's a guy that's prone to let those emotions take take over and just do whatever he wants. These guys aren't going to do that. Okay, so I do want no, to I like that. talk about that. One of the first notes for the beginning of the match that, you know, both guys were, like you said, exchanged some chops, exchanged some technical moves, and it seemed like whenever... Perfect had the upper hand, the advantage. Flair would roll outside the ring and walk around and, you know, milk it out, stall it, you know, to kind of get in the head of Perfect and to kind of take the advantage away from Perfect to kind of have it more equal footing. Yeah, I, I liked it. And as you'll see from my reading, I like pretty much everything that happened in this match, so. Okay. Next, I know, uh, I don't think one of the times Flair rolled, rolled out of the ring in frustration that he grabbed a chair. Oh, yeah, before we get to that, I want to say that it was really funny. So Bobby Heaton's obviously on on, uh, commentary, and um, he's Flair's guy. I love the one where Flair rolls out and Bobby's got a hammer. Well, yeah, they were even asking Bobby about, like, what do you have the hammer for? Wait, I have a, like, kind of, Bobby was blowing it off, like, I don't have a hammer. Yeah. Then then he admitted to it. I love that he's got this hammer and he's going to give it to Flair. But yeah, so then Flair comes up the next time he gets the chair. Uh, what were you going to say? Oh, that uh, referee Earl Hebner rolled outside the ring to get in the face of Flair and you know, tell him not to use the chair. I wrote that that was one of the most athletic moves I've ever seen Earl Hebner do. Did you see what he did? So Flair's got the chair up above his head. Earl jumps off the apron, does basically like a flying body press to the chair, <laughs> and takes it out of Flair's hands. I don't think I've ever seen Earl move with that much gusto. So I do want to talk about, you know, referees back then, how they actually had authority compared to referees now, which seems to have no authority. 
Yeah, I'd say for the most part they did. And if you hit a ref, you were going to get disqualified. It isn't just some... Well, I mean, I guess it depends on where you're at. I know on some territories you can pretty much do whatever you want at the ref, but... Yeah, I guess, you know, when did this change from, you know, referee actually had the full authority in the WWF compared to nowadays when you can pretty much do anything and referee pretty much lets it go? I'm thinking the... The Austin era. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know. then, I guess yeah, we might as well go back to the match. How? Yeah. After after Earl's awesome, uh, <laughs> you know, chair block with his body. We go to a commercial break. Okay. And w- once we come back to the commercial break, uh, Perfect was on the mat trying to uh, hit Flutter with a sunset flip, and uh, mm. I noticed that Flutter's trunks were about halfway down. Oh jeez. And we saw like uh, in his tan line. Oh, gosh, you wouldn't notice that. <laughs> hey, don't make an ass out of me, man. <laughs> Indeed. but uh, Perfect is busted open at this point, too. Yes, yes. I, you know, that, that, I didn't catch when that happened. But, yeah, you know. I didn't either, but I didn't want, want to talk to you about that. You know, yeah, Perfect was, uh, I think, yeah, Perfect was thrown outside the ring and was thrown, I think, uh, thrown into the ring post or something. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah that's why I noticed, like, there was a cut on his forehead. Okay. I feel like, you know, for this match, the little bit of blood added to it made the match feel more important. I think so, too, and I don't think you're going to see that on TV very often. Yeah. You might see it on uh, pay-per-view, but you're not going to see it on TV, and I think that really added to it. So you feel like Perfect's blood was help help added to the match? I do, yeah, and do I you do. F- and do you feel like there's a spot for blood in the professional wrestling business? I think there can be. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a guy that is like, oh yeah, blood, blood, blood. But you know, I think there can be a spot. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you that you know, like, I think during the Attitude Era of, you know, late nineties, early two thousands, I feel like blood was overdone. You know, one of the first, one of the matches I think of is, I think it was two thousand four Royal Rumble when. It was Shawn Michaels challenging Triple H for the World Heavyweight title. And both men were bleeding buckets. Yeah. And all that. Granted, you know, it, yeah. it fit in well with that match. But I feel like all that blood was too much. Right. And I feel like, you know, like in this match, if it's, I guess, done the hard way. Or if it's done where it would add to the match. I feel like it's, you know, good. But not when, you know... To bleed adds to the match, and if you don't bleed, the match sucks. I find that to be that philosophy, that psychology to be bogus. Yep, I would agree with you. Okay, so uh, I know, know, know one thing I also wrote, wrote down about this match was there's a lot of reversals, a lot of strikes, a lot of technical moves, a lot of a lot of Bobby getting excited for Nieder Falls. <laughs> I thought Bobby was awesome on this at, on commentary, and I think I just wrote down that this is what bias commentating should be like like when you when you have somebody who's pulling uh you know four one over the other this might be a little over the top but it's great i think i think he does an awesome job and he really adds to the match i think a lot how do you feel about during flitter's year and a half run with the company do you feel like bobby being on commentary for most of his big matches helped the match out Yes, hundred percent. Okay, yeah, I can say the same here. I love. Yep. I feel like you know Bobby was golden with you know coming up with quick wits and all that, and with him being biased towards Flair, I think it added to the, added to it. 
and I think it's one of those things that um, you know it adds it adds credibility to Flair. You know, when you have Bobby, who's on, you know, pretty much like you said, all the big shows, really saying like, "This is the man. This is the guy." I think it does. Tanoa talked about he didn't get excited. Next note I have is Flair had perfect in a safer hold and was fading, and he didn't. He didn't was getting excited. Believe that <laughs> yes, Flair, he was. Yeah, Flair was about to win and send perfect packing. Yeah. And uh, one note I enjoyed about Bobby was Bobby got pissed when when um, Perfect's arm went down only twice. Yeah. And and that you know Perfect's arm didn't go down the third time, and Bobby got pissed off saying that. You know, you know, if the arm goes down twice, that's when the match should be over. Yeah, Bobby advocates that we should go to a two-count system. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that made me laugh. Like, okay, I had to take note about that. Yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> then, uh, um, yeah, so, yeah, perfect fights out. Um, but Flair then kind of um, gets him back with a back suplex, and then he even locks in the figure four. Yeah, see, cause I know that's one of my ne- next notes. Uh, Flair had the... Had the figure four on, and Heenan was hollering and all that, saying that, you know, trying to yell at the ref, saying that he should call for the bell and declare Flair as a winner. Yeah, yeah, and he's got the, he keeps pulling on the ropes for leverage, and, and McMahon, Vince, is saying, Vince is just irate, right? Yes. But Heenan goes, who cares? Which, as I say, I feel, I feel like Vince and Heenan also worked well together, you know, besides Heenan working well with Gorilla. Yeah, yep, yep, they were pretty good. And, I mean, say what you will about Bob Bartlett, but he, he does a good job of shutting up during this match. Okay, yeah. And just kind of letting them, letting the other two take hold of this one. Because talk, yeah, talking about the figure four, you know, the ref caught him holding on the, onto it, and Alcee Flair let, let go. When has Flair won a match with the figure four, <laughs> and when did he win, win the match with the figure four when it mattered? Oof. Not a ton. You know, not really. Next, I was trying to wonder about that because I think even, like, I think this was, like, last year when Flair came back and was going to manage The Miz or whatever, which was uh, horse crap. Well, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't like The Miz, but I feel like, you know, with, and I think Jerry Lawler even questioned that on, either Jerry Lawler or John Bratch at Layfield questioned that, like, when did Flair ever win a big match when it mattered with the figure four? Yeah, it didn't happen a lot. Most, a lot of just roll-ups, really. Yeah. Okay, then I guess you go to another commercial break. Then, then uh, I guess next one I have is that Flair grabbed some uh, tape knuckles out of his uh, knee pads. Yep. And laid perfect out with a right hand. Yeah, and, I th- and uh, I had a note that he goes, Babaroo! <laughs> After he punches, um, uh, punches perfect, and he points to Heena and he goes, Babaroo! <laughs> so, uh, what do you think Tape Knuckles really has much of a advantage? I, yeah, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> Not, if it's like iron underneath the tape, maybe. I don't know. Okay, because I feel like that uh, Brass Knuckles would have more of a more of advantage than Tape Knuckles. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if we'll ever get to it, but everything's better than the slapjack. That is true, yes. So, no, I am. Uh, I, do you have any other no- notes or anything to add before we go to the finish? Um. Well, sorry. Right before the Nux, you know, Flair went to the top rope, 
And, you know, unlike every other time he went up, he does get thrown off. You know, he he always had to tap roof move, right? Yes. <laughs> no. Just like every – just like I, – I don't know if I've ever seen him hit a top rope move, but I love it. I think the only time I did see him was when he was a good guy. Okay, okay fair. Yeah, true. Okay. Then, uh, you know, towards the end, you know, towards the end, you know, that flitter had the advantage for a while, then yep. per- perfect hooked up for a moment. Yeah, I, I put perfect as hanging up <laughs> and Flair's chop have no effect. And then also at this point, I realized that I took note that both men have an inordinate amount of glitter yes. on each other. And I don't even know where it came from. I so I was either. a little disconcerned at that point. I guess when perfect was hulking up, would it be, would it perfect started to become more perfect? <laughs> yeah, pure perfection. Yes. So, <laughs> so I guess, yeah, the end of the match came when uh, Flair... Irish struck Perfect into the ropes and bent over to give him a back body drop, but Perfect stopped and stopped right, right like a step or two in front of Flair and clapped on the Perfect plucks and mm-hmm. got the three count. Yep, and a good, very well done Perfect plucks too. Okay, what what is your rating for this match? You know, I thought this was really good. I thought it was great. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I gave it four stars. Okay, same here. I gave this match a, f- a four star ra- four star rating, and after. I you know wrote down perfect one with a first star rating. Uh, he that Heenan threw a temper tantrum. <laughs> yeah. and was bleeped out a lot. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. He, he was yeah. a bleeping weasel. Yes, he was. I liked that. Um, you know, even though it's his night out of the company and he's leaving, I did think Flair did a good job. You know, and he he's a professional. He did a good job just getting out of there. Yeah, he didn't. Uh, he didn't throw a temper tantrum around the ring. He didn't, you know, try to get his uh, heat back or whatever, try to hit perfect. He just got out of there. Yeah, cause and I, I thought that was well done. And I feel like the way he didn't throw a temper tantrum also added to it, too, on, you know, his man is leaving the company. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know, uh, let's see, yeah, the, I thought that added to it. Then I know, I think this is a little bit later, but... McMahon did tell us that Flair has to finish up yeah. a few commitments through, I think, through the weekend or whatever. Yeah, that was a little awkward, but he must he must have been um, advertised for that headlock on Hunger Show yeah. at the at Madison Square Garden. That's what I was guessing. Yeah. Then I do want to talk to you about, uh, I think, well, there was a commercial between the end of the match and that announcement. I do want to talk about that commercial. Okay, what was that one? It, well, it was... Oh, that's for that mania, the, right? Yeah, the WWF mania. It was a <laughs> couple parents trying to sleep in on a weekend on a Saturday. And yeah. the kids ran in and jumped on, jumped on their bed and all that for WWF mania. And I think the tagline was something along the lines of, it's 100% caffeine free. Yes. <laughs> and so far, I'll admit, this show is 100% caffeine run. Oh, yeah. I, uh... Downed a, a caffeine full, a diet sun-kissed lemon. I'm sure you got some caffeine running through your veins. I'm ready to work on my second mellow yellow, homie. Main event main event status is definitely not caffeine-free. So I guess if you want to become a main event star, I guess you got to drink some caffeine. <laughs> yes, sir. So do you have any more notes about this show before we go off, I guess, off-road ro- off running? <laughs> off-road No, I... No, I think it was that. I think it was pretty good. I, I really liked this one. Even you know, even that Kamala match, um, I think was a nice kind of like breath between 
the Macho Man match and the Flyer match. Yeah, I feel like you know it's a nice buffer. I think you know we had a open up with a serious match. I guess serious but comical match. We go to a comical less serious match, mm-hmm. to then do the serious match. Right. Yep. I I thought it was well paced. I thought the the whole deal was good. So. Okay, then uh, we may as well go uh, go uh, talk about our jobbers and our main eventers for the night. Sure. I'll go first. My jobber yep. for the night has to be Rob Bartlett. I would agree with you. Is he your that jobber? That was mine as well. Okay. Yep, that was mine as well. So I just feel like, you know, like we were talking about earlier, I just feel like, you know, I understand why Vince wanted somebody like him on color commentating with the show, but I feel like Vince should have found somebody who knew the product a lot better. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you know, they the, the little that he said in that main event match, um, or no, yeah, this one and also the, the Macho Man match, he di- he didn't even know who he was supposed to be rooting for, you know. He's throwing out, um, you know, positives for the for the good guy, but then he's also throwing positives for the heel. It's like he doesn't even know what he's supposed to be doing. So I do I do remember McMahon called him out during the Flair Perfect match on like you aren't t- you aren't you aren't saying much. Yeah, I, I think like you said, I think you said this that I feel like Barlett not saying much helped the main event out yeah. that much better. Yep, yep, under my explanation of why he's my least valuable, I just put the best parts of the show when he wasn't talking. Yeah. And definitely. that I think that really shows shows when someone's valuable versus not valuable. Well, if the best parts of when you aren't there, I think it's you. Yeah. So who is your, who is your most valuable, your main event? I think, I feel like it has to be a tag team, in a sense, okay. for this. I'll see one for his in-ring ability and the other guy for his color commentating ability. It has to be Rick Flutter and Bobby Heenan. Ah, yeah. I, yeah, explain yourself. I feel like for in both sense that Flair, you know, Flair and Perfect were great wrestlers. And I feel like, you know, Perfect helped, you know, send Flair off and show that, you know, he was a legit star. He was great. And, and all that Flair helped made Perfect into, gave him another boost on, you know, Perfect's beat, a former Rumble winner, a two-time WWF champion, you know, a great wrestler, Perfect beat to send Sudden packing, and for Bobby Heenan, not just for the main event, but for the whole night, I feel like Bobby made compared to Baston Booger for last week, <laughs> and compared to our job or for this week, I feel like Bobby Heenan made this match a lot more bearable. Sure, I can see that. Uh, I I went just with Flair. Um, you know, I just put that. You know, knowing that this was his last night in the company, he could you know he could have just rolled over. He could have just. Uh, you know, kind of dogged it, but he, you know, definitely did that. And I thought he made perfect look awesome. And if they wanted to springboard this into perfect, you know, challenging for a title or doing something like that, I think they could have. Well, especially with what would be coming on later on in the year, I feel like perfect would have been, this would have been a good springboard for perfect to challenge the WWF champion, maybe at SummerSlam. Yeah. And if, if this was a time where they had more pay-per-views, I would say that Perfect would definitely have challenged Yokozuna at one of them. Yeah. After this. Like, if they had a February pay-per-view, I think, well, I guess Yoko wasn't the title holder at this time, but that'd be, a, you know, if he was. He, or even if, you know, I think that in February would have been Bret Hart as a champion. I think Perfect would have been a great challenger anyway. Yeah, if they wanted to do a face-face, they could have done that. Yeah, I guess, you know, how we normally do a top, how we do a top five list for each episode and... You know, I felt like the top five list of this 
for this episode should be the top five worst color commentators. <laughs> just because of Rob Bartlett. Yep, in honor of Rob Bartlett. <laughs> and I guess I'll start out. Now, my number five, I don't know if you like this or not, but my number five has to be Arn Anderson. Arn Anderson? I guess only, there's only, I think, one or two matches I heard him do. This was during the WWF invasion period. Okay. When I think it was on a SmackDown match for the Cruiserweight title, it was Arn Anderson, I think, and Mark Madden. Okay. <laughs> no, yeah. uh, Scott Hudson. Scott Hudson. It? I think it was Scott Hudson. Either way, I felt like it was just plain horrible. <laughs> yeah, you know, Arn Anderson. You know, I don't think I don't think it was Arn Anderson's forte as a color commentator. Sure. And I don't think I I, I know he has a lot of charisma when he in during his promos. I don't think his charisma. Charisma carried over as a color commentator. All right, I can play that. I can play that. So that's why he... I know there's worse choices than him, but he is one of few that I thought of. It's your list. You can do what you want. So who's your number five? My number five? Another... It might be controversial. A lot of people like this guy. But um, my number five is Taz post-leaving WWE. Uh, I agree with you on that. And, and I don't... You know... I think a lot of people would say, oh, gosh, Beverly Hills, you're just saying, or whatever. People at WWE are awesome. People who leave WWE suck. But if you listen to Taz post-WWE, oh, my gosh. He's, oh, Mike, that's my buddy, Tommy Dreamer, blah, blah. Oh, that's my buddy, Chris Candido. He's dead now. Sorry. You know, it's just, he's just the worst. <laughs> just, no. I and... Oh man, when he was in the biker gang. Oh, woof. So <laughs> yeah, woof. Taz, Taz post WWE. That's my number five. My number four has to be Mike Adamley. Okay. Just because of his mispronouncing names and stumbles over his own names and words. I guess I can't talk since I know I do the same thing. <laughs> but. I just feel like as a play-by-play man on ECW brand in the WWE, I just feel like he was, wasn't that great. All right. I won't talk about Mike Adamley just yet. Okay, that's fair enough. Who's your number four? My number four, Mark Madden. Okay. He was He was awful in WCW. He just, I don't know, he was, like, offensive. He didn't follow the kind of the line I think they were going for. I, I just don't like him at isn't, all. Isn't he a radio show host nowadays? Yeah, and he's gotten removed a couple times for being offensive and whatever. Okay, well, I guess we—I guess he's a guy <laughs> I can't, you know, can't invite on the podcast then. <laughs> I would, I probably would skip that one. Oh well, I guess that kind of sucks, huh? <laughs> All right, go ahead. I guess my number three has to be Rob Barlett. Oh, okay. Just because you know, like what we talked about, he didn't know the he didn't know the product, which. I felt like hurt the shows and with his bad jokes. I just feel like he, he brought the whole product down for each episode he was on. All right. Any thoughts? Okay. Any thoughts on uh, that? Well, I'll have thoughts later. Okay, who's your number three? <laughs> well, have you? Do you watch NXT on uh, the network? Not what I haven't sat down yet, but I do want to watch some of their specials that they have have on because I hear nothing but good news about NXT. Okay, you know, I, I watch it. They got some good commentators. Renee Young does a good job. William Regal is just, you know, William Regal. But I have a tough time listening to Alex Riley yeah. on uh, commentary, and he's my number three. Okay, yeah, because I know... Go ahead. Oh, yeah, because I know, uh, like, the 
uh, at, at WWE Network uh, pre pay per view shows and post pay per view shows shows with Alex Riley. I can see where he can get underneath people's skin. Yep, I just I don't like him at all. I think he's he's like trying to be a heel announcer, but it just doesn't work. I just don't. Uh, I just he he detracts from from what's going on. Okay, I, for my number two, only thing I want to say about him is quack quack. Oh. My number two worst announcer has to be Booker T. Oh, okay. Because of his horrible jokes, <laughs> and I feel like he didn't add anything to the product. You know, I feel like you know each time I go back to watch a pay per view or a Raw or SmackDown with him as a color commentator, I feel like it just brings it down. All right, I can't say I've watched much with Booker T on it, so I don't well, know. Well, I guess the only time you know during that time when he was a color commentator is more pay per views out of watch and. It was just horrible for me that his bad jokes, you know, I guess they were, I think, funnier than Rob Bartlett. You know, he's, Booker T had a lot of one-liners like quack, quack, and <laughs> other things like that, too. But, you know, I just, it's like, more aimed for, towards children. And okay. like, you know, like, I guess that's what WWE is more aimed for, the next generation of fans. But, like, come on, Booker. <laughs> okay, my uh, my number two is Rob Bartlett. Okay, I think you know we talked about uh, you know Raw. I think it, you know they were kind of transitioning to make this kind of the flagship show, and you know if they're trying to do that with Bartlett as the main color guy, that's just not going to work. And you know he like we said he really brought it down with his bad jokes and his you know anything else he was trying to do, and I just don't think it came across well. Okay, then, which I totally agree with you, and I guess I'll go to my number one, and just like last week, you didn't even mention my number one, <laughs> Michael Cole, as a heel. Oh, oh okay, shit. I, I feel like as a heel and on, and I'll explain, 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 but especially as a heel, it turned a lot of people off. Yeah. You know, like I said, you know, I listened to, the Wrestling Observer podcast with Dave Meltzer, Brian Alvarez, you know, you know those, those crew. And I don't remember if you were a subscriber during this time either, but all of those guys hated Michael Cole. You know, having to listen to the show, watch and listen to the show to take notes for their newsletters and for their podcast. That I feel like, especially with WrestleMania 27, Michael Cole brought shows and pay-per-views down because of him being a heel and all that. I know. I understand trying to do something different. They never had a heel play-by-play guy before, but I feel like that he was way over the top. You know, yeah, he brought. Yeah, his heel work pushed me away. Oh, okay. And that he, I, I feel like he, he never, he ne- never quit feuding with Lawler. Never quit poking Lawler. You know that pissed him off. And nowadays, I feel like he, he gets in these silly arguments with the King and JBL. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't really like Cole either. But and I feel yeah. like you know, especially I guess the product nowadays is different compared to back then. But like nowadays, I don't think they really talk about the match. They talk about other things, right? And it's hard for me to get into the match because of that. Sure. So that was my number one choice. All right, my number one you touched on, but my number one's Mike Adamley. Um, you know, I loved. American Gladiators yes. growing up. Loved American Gladiators. And he was perfect there. Somehow, you know, maybe in the 15 years past, he just fell off a cliff. And, yeah, he's he was mispronouncing names. He 
didn't know anything that was going on. I just, yeah, nothing, nothing with the Adam Lee, whatever. Yeah, fair enough, yeah. So, yeah, I guess that's another episode for Main Event Status Radio that we covered out for the January 25th, 1993 edition of Monday Night Raw. <laughs> another beautiful episode. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and I was going to say, do you have any closing comments about this episode or anything in general? Um, no, I don't think so. It was a good one. Okay, yeah, plugs, plugs, plug away. All right, uh, Twitter, at Beverly Hills, M-E-S. Don't have much on there, but tweet occasionally. Okay, then I'll see me, Dirty Dog, M-E-S. That's dog, as D-A-W-G, Dirty Dog, M-E-S on Twitter. And also like us on Facebook. It should be backslash Men Event Status Radio. If not, just... Go in the search bar and type in Facebook and search Main Event Status Radio. And I think there's like about a dozen or so people that liked it so far. Find us on Keep Facebook. Now find us on Twitter. Communicate with us in any way that what the pros that you liked about the show or last week's show or cons or whatever. Just talk to us. We're here to talk yep. to you guys because we're doing yep. this show for all of you. Woo-hoo. I guess uh, yeah, that's another week episode. Another week's episode. <laughs> Yo, not another week episode. Come on, dog. <laughs> well, as I say, yeah, so far we went. I think like an hour and twenty-ish minutes. So compared to last week, I think we, think we went an extra half hour. So <laughs> what a week! But yeah, I guess for another episode of Main Event Status Radio. Thank you guys for listening. Goodbye. Show, ladies and gentlemen.